Heavenly Father, thank you for the truth of those words. Thank you for your grace that saves a wretch like me. Thank you that it was grace that taught me to fear and grace that those fears relieved. And we thank you especially for Sergio's mum this morning that she knows the truth of that last verse, that though earth may melt away, she sees you forever. When she's been there 10,000 years, bright shining as the sun, she's no less dazed to sing God's praise than when she first begun. Father, thank you that that's true for all who know Jesus. And I pray today, Lord, for all of those who are grieving, not just Sergio and his family, but people in this church who are grieving, either because they've lost someone recently or many years ago. Father, thank you that you are the God of all comfort, that you meet us in that time and you walk with us. Thank you for people you put in our lives to do that journey with us. And we pray, Father, for those who are unwell. We continue to pray for Frank Bond as he recovers from his operation. And for little Adam. Father, we pray that you would continue to bring healing to their bodies and give grace to those families. And Father, we pray for our family and friends who don't yet know Jesus as their Lord and Saviour, as that young guy on Friday night discovered for the first time. We pray that you would give us the opportunity to share your love with them, not just with words, but in actions. And we pray, Father, for these people by name in our own hearts now. Father, we pray that we'll do more than pray for them, but that we will look for opportunities. We see you at work in people's lives, so we pray that we'd be aware of you doing that. We pray for Graham in Papua New Guinea that you would keep him safe, bring him home safely, and for the work that's being done there, that, Lord, you will superintend everything and that more people may know the name of Jesus. They would have your word in their hands, in their own language. And we pray for our brothers and sisters around the world who are being persecuted today simply for owning the name of Jesus, that we would stand with them in prayer, that it will be more than just a thought far off, but that we would feel it deeply as family who are hurting for the name of Jesus. We pray for their testimony to be strong. And we pray for each of us as we open your word today, Lord, that you would speak to us in you, that you would show us those hidden places that need to be addressed. For those who need comfort, you'd comfort encouragement, that you would encourage. For those of us who need conviction, that you would convict. We thank you that you are a God who speaks to us through your word. We pray this prayer that we've been praying as a church now for some time. Heavenly Father, we humbly thank you for all that you have done and continue to do through Forest Lake Baptist Church. Make us a church who look at people with the eyes of Jesus, serve people with the hands of Jesus, speak to people with the words of Jesus and listen to people with the heart of Jesus. Unite us in the vision you have given us to be disciples who make disciples wherever we are and wherever we go. We believe you will equip and resource us to be a sending, planting, equipping and multiplying church where you will do abundantly more than we can ask or imagine as you bring revival to our community. We praise and thank you for what you are doing and we will follow where your spirit leads. We ask these things in and through the name of Jesus. Amen. I'll show a graphic up on the slide in a minute, which is something that I was shown by 
uh, Robert Chapman actually some years ago, which is the Fear and Greed Index. Is that working, Vic? Yep, there it is. This is a barometer that's used by the finance industry to kind of tell them where are people's uh, hearts at at the moment in terms of money. And you can see at the moment we're currently neutral, but one month ago we were feared. So what it means is when, when it's over in the fear category, what gets sold more is insurance because we're fearful of losing stuff. When the economy is going well and we feel good about things, the, the barometer goes more into the greed section, which means instead of trying to sell us insurance, they sell us products where we can make money. And this is legitimately a barometer. You can, I, I just downloaded this, the CNN Money website. It's there for all to see, of where they currently see, where we as a community currently see our finances. And it says to me straight away that this is such a key idea of how we have been taught to think about money. Because you only fear things that you are going to lose and you only lose things that you think are yours. So if we're told that you should be fearful or greedy, then we're being told, not so implicitly, but pretty explicitly, your money is yours. But as Christians, as we've said over the last two weeks in this series on money, we believe very clearly, the Bible teaches very clearly, that our money is not ours, our money is God's. We are stewards thereof. But we get bombarded by this message constantly of yours, yours is yours. You deserve it. You've earned it. You want it. You get it. And Paul has been teaching us in 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and 9 over the last couple of weeks that everything ultimately is by grace. If we have money, we only have money because of God's grace. I mean, even if you have skills to earn lots of money, you have those skills because God gave them to you. And if you have the opportunity to be generous, you have that opportunity because God goes graciously giving you that opportunity. And it completely flips the way we see things. And since I've been in this passage over the last couple of weeks, I've just been really aware of advertising around the place that constantly is bombarding us with the message that if you have enough money, you'll feel better. If you have enough, you'll feel secure. Of course, the problem is you never have enough. I saw an ad on the back of a bus the other day for one of the universities that said, we will help you become what you want to be. Well, I want to be an astronaut. Yeah, thanks. <laughs> Honestly, I'm never going to be an astronaut. Thank am I, Stuart? Thanks very much. But we are getting sold this message that if you wanted enough, you can get it, and the, the way to get it is to get this degree that will give you enough money, and if you get enough money, you'll be right. Paul says, no. Your security, your identity, your future, your purpose is in God. And so this morning we're going to close out this series having looked at it all being about grace and last week about God's desire for us to be faithful and regular with our generosity, not just with offering, but with all of our lives, that we would be faithfully and regularly generous to the people around us. We come this morning to just a few verses in chapter 9. And the reason we're just doing a few verses today is I've invited someone to come and share a story with us today that I think will really help land this. Paul writes in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 6 to 9, the point is this, the person who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly and the person who sows generously will also reap generously. 
Each person should do as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or out of compulsion, since God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make every grace overflow to you, so that in every way, always having everything you need, you may excel in every good work. As it is written, he distributed freely, he gave to the poor, his righteousness endures forever. Now, whenever I've heard this passage preached on, I've I think I've only ever heard it talked about the idea of sowing and uh, reaping sparingly and generously. So I've only ever heard it talk about, well, the more you give, the more you're going to reap. And sometimes I've heard some preachers say, you'll reap back more money than you give away, which kind of undoes the idea of generosity if you're only being generous to get. Not really generous, that's called uh, investment, when you put some in to get more back. Or I've heard it said, well, if you give more, you're going to see more blessings and that, that may be true, but that's not the point of this passage. The point of this passage to an agrarian society, to a farming society was, you can sow and you can reap, but at the end of the day, you don't grow anything. In my accounting days, I had a bunch of clients out at St. George who were cotton farmers. And I remember one year, they, had, they looked like they were going to have a great season. All, all the conditions were just right. And they were all telling me, I had about five or six of them, and every day I'd have a phone call with them, and we were trying to work out how we're going to do the tax and stuff, and blah, 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 blah. And then, after they all butted, and it was apparently the place looked amazing out at St. George, just cotton everywhere, massive hailstorm. Gone. Literally, in one day, 80% of that year's harvest was gone. And I remember talking to one of the the farmers out there, a wonderful guy, and I said, man, how do you feel? And his family had been on the land out there, I think he was the third or fourth generation. He said, Mark, that's farming. That's what happens. I mean, he was gutted, he was devastated, but he knew that he can do all the work, he can plant. And I, I loved finding out about how you plant cotton and all the rest. That was great fun. But at the end of the day, farmers are reliant on God. And I think this is a lesson that we in the West need to learn more who aren't farmers. That we're used to the idea that if you work harder, you'll get. If you'll get that promotion, you'll, whatever it is. But we need to understand that we are thoroughly and completely reliant on God. So the point is this, the person who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly and the person who sows generously will also reap generously. That's true about the sparing and generous thing, but the point is what he says later, and God is able to make every grace overflow to you. See, whether or not we are sparing or generous in our sowing, in our investment in the kingdom, in our investing of love and generosity into other people's lives will be determined by how we understand God. Because if we understand God as a taker in life, then that's how we will understand our generosity and we'll be sparing it. I found this great quote this week from John Piper where he says, the sparing giver sees God as a taker. The bountiful giver sees God as a giver. If we understand that this isn't ours, it's God's who has just generously, wonderfully given it to me, then I'm going to be generous with it. But if I understand God to be a taker, and I've even heard people talk about uh, giving as God's taxation. God doesn't tax us. 
He can't tax what's already his. That doesn't make sense. That's why the Queen doesn't pay tax until she chose to, but let's not get complicated. It's already God's. And if we understand God to be a generous, loving, giving God, then that will change our hearts in the way we see our time and our money and our value because we will understand that we have already been incredibly blessed by God. And if you have any question that I'm not telling the truth when I say that God is generous, I have two words for you. The cross. He who did not spare his own son. This is our God, the loving, generous, giving God. And if we get that, instead of seeing God as this ogre who says, you must give me, we stop being the sparing people who think, I've just got to keep it all close and, well, I'll dish a little bit out to you and a little bit out here, but the rest is mine. And we say, I trust God. He's got it. And I see this need and I see this opportunity to bless, thank... and. I heard someone speak this week about giving and he said that there was a guy in the congregation who's, who every morning would wake up and say to God, oh Lord, thank you for another day. Please give me the opportunity to be generous to someone today. Really? I don't know that I pray that prayer. Please, Lord, give me an opportunity to open my life to someone today. You can only be vulnerable and open your life and be generous if you understand that God is a loving and generous God. And he is. He loves us with an everlasting love, the Bible tells us. And it's part of the reason, seeing God as a taker, why this idea of the tithe in the church has become so problematic. The tithe originally was what was uh, designated by God to the Old Testament people of Israel to give to the local Levites. So the Levites were the priestly class. They were told not to work, not to own property. So they relied on the generosity of other people. And so the tithe, the 10% that the Israelites were told to give was given to the local Levites so they could eat. And even in the way God commands them to give that tithe, to give that 10%, shows that God is a giving God. He says uh, to the Israelites, Look, I have given the Levites every tenth in Israel as an inheritance in return for the work they do, the work of the tent of meeting. It's not you must give, it's I have given them. God gives it. And when we understand that God is a generous, loving God, it, we realise it's not about a tithe. It's not about 10%. And as we've said every week in this sermon series, someone asked Tim Keller once, uh, how much should I give? Should it be 10%? And Tim Keller famously said, if you want to know what to give, look at the cross. God owns all of us. We, we belong to him. And everything we have belongs to him. But we've got this idea in the modern church today and we need to address this about offering and tithe and all this sort of thing. And I know that some people give 10% because they feel they must and they're under obligation and if, God, if you don't, God's going to come down on you like a ton of bricks. God is not like that. He knows that we should be giving regularly because that's good for our own hearts. But I even had a lady many, many years ago when I was first at the church, she... I, when I first came, she didn't like the way I was doing ministry. 
And she invited me to come over and see her one day and she said, I'm just letting you know I'm not giving my offering anymore to the church. I said, oh, okay, why is that? She said, because I don't like the way you do what you do. And until you start doing it this way, I'm not going to give anymore. Offering is not payment for services. I know in some churches they take up the offering after the sermon and then they found out the preacher wasn't very good so they moved the offering to before the sermon because they thought, and it, it actually showed when the preacher had a good sermon, people gave more. Offering is not payment for services. The offering that we take up as a church is because we are a family, we are the body of Christ in this place and together we work for the kingdom of God and, and one of the principles of the kingdom of God and being a family is that everyone contributes. And I know some of you can, will contribute 10%. Some of you will contribute more. Some of you will contribute less. The percentage figure is not important as, as is your heart in how you understand things. And I shared a story last week about a mate of mine, pastor in another church, where he had a a family come to him and say, we want you to keep us accountable. We believe that God has told us to give half of my wife's pay in an offering every week. We want you to keep us accountable. Now, most people cannot do that. You, you would go broke if you did that. But they understood that this is God's money and if it's God's money and he says do it, then we'll do it. And as a result of them doing that, they've been able to put on a youth pastor and that youth pastor has started a community outreach and they're seeing young people come to the Lord. We invest into the kingdom. And so let, let's just clear it up, this 10% thing right now. The tithe, the 10% is not a rule for Christians to follow. It's a guideline that we can use as a basis. But if you want to know what God wants you to give, ask God. And it may be 10%. For Catherine and me, it has been 10%. And we've stuck with that and we've seen God's faithfulness all through our married life. At one point when I was first at the church, we had, and I'll just give this as a, as a demonstration of this. And we see, we see God's faithfulness in this. When I first came to the church, we were about 40 people as a church and the church was able to set me aside for 10 hours a week. That was, that was it. And the end of the first year, we realised the only way this church goes forward if, is if I can do another day a week in the church. And so we prayed about it and we had a sense of God say, do not ask for the extra money from the church. Like, we, were, we didn't have it. Trust me. And I don't want you to give less as offering. And I'm like, well, that's harsh. Come on now. That's, that's rubbish. So I went to the boss a couple of days later at the firm that I was working at at the time, and I said to him, hey, uh, I, I need to cut back a day a week of work. And even that was a step of faith because he had told me when I first started there, four days a week is the least we're going to let you work here. So if you're thinking about going less, that's probably going to be a no when you come to me with that. I'm probably going to tell you to leave. I went to him and said, I need to go back to three days a week. And he said, yeah, that works. Might say something about my standard of work. I don't know. But he said, yep, three days a week is fine. And we went, I went home that night and Catherine was still part of a life group from an, uh, our old church. And two friends of ours, a couple said to me as they arrived, I used to go and do sermon prep in the study while they had the life group on. And he said, can we, can we hang about after the life group tonight? We want to talk to you about something. So uh, we hung about and they said to us, we've been praying and God has said to us 
that you're about to take a step of faith. We, they didn't know about what we had done. You're about to take a step of faith and God has told us to take up the shortfall of whatever you're losing. And we said, well, actually, I'm taking a day off work and he said, well, I will re I'll fill in that amount out of my own pocket. A couple of years later, the church came and said, hey, we're at a position now where it can be full-time. And so we invited those friends again to come over for dinner and we were going to say, listen, thank you for your help, but we don't need it anymore. And he said to me at dinner, look, I really hate to tell you this, I feel bad, but our business has not been great. We can't help you anymore. The very day. God is no man's debtor. And if you think that God is saying to you, I want you to be generous in this way, take it from someone who has seen God's goodness in my own life and my own family, be generous. I have never yet met someone on their deathbed who said, boy, I wish I hadn't been so generous. But I've met people who have said, I wish I'd been more. Be generous. Because he says, God is able to make every grace overflow to you. God is able and I want you to hear a story about God's faithfulness and goodness. So, Andy, come on up. This is Andy. The, who knows Andy from Emmanuel's? He, had a hard, he gave me a hard time about New South Wales winning the origin, so we're going to put this picture up instead. <laughs> you like that? <laughs> well, it was love... It was lovely to have Andy here today, wasn't it? <laughs> Tell us your story, mate. Put up the... No yeah, the, I've got a nice photo of you. Nice. Um, our story sort of rollicks over a number of years. Um, I, when we were newly married, I was working for a, for a company, um, a Christian company, a great company, and we'd pray as an organisation. It was, it was a really... Sorry. That's better. Um... <laughs> I got told the other day that I came home one day and said, oh, by the way, I've resigned. I'm going to Bible college. Um, and that's when my wife was, was pregnant with our first child. So God was good even in, in my folly and over-enthusiasm. And we were supported through that by, by generous people in our church. Um, we moved to Brisbane. I ended up working for what I thought was my ideal job. And that was with one tell. I don't know if you remember one tell. It was a Murdoch Packer telco. It went spectacularly bankrupt. And I remember sitting with my staff one day saying, "Yeah, don't worry. This is this is the Packers and the Murdochs. Nothing bad's going to happen here." And two days later, we're having farewell drinks, and it was that quick. And again. We sort of went from job to job in that period and I was never really settled. Um, and out of nowhere, a friend of ours came and said, look, I can get you into Queensland Rail um, to work for us um, in IT, which was quite funny because I had no idea about IT. Um, I didn't know a hard drive from a floppy disk. But here I was running the computers for, for Queensland Rail passenger services. <laughs> um, probably says a lot about Queensland Rail. Um, and God was, God was good, but it was tough. And, you know, we, we were financially... We made the decision when we had children that, that nobody could raise the kids as well as, as well as us and nobody would love them. So we, we deliberately dropped to one income. 
Kim was an occupational therapist, which was a good income that we, we gave up. And, and yeah, there were times where, where Kim would scrimp and save to, to buy formula and nappies. Um, but God provided throughout that. Um, I was getting frustrated with Queensland Rail and I had a, we were at a home group one night. We were running a little home group over at Gateway. And I had a friend who said, you should go into a coffee shop. And I said, that's a great idea, but how's that going to happen? And he said, well, I'll pay for it. So we – and I always had this dream. When my first – when my daughter was born, we were up at the Mater and I walked into a coffee shop there and I had this wonderful verse on the wall about going to the well and Jesus meeting people where they were at. And I came up and spoke to my wife and said, I want to open a coffee shop. I want to take the church out of the church. I want to meet people where they're at and, and give them Jesus. And that was a pipe dream that we'd had. But And this guy didn't know that but said, I want to buy you a coffee shop. So we were just overawed. And we came over to Kenmore, opened the coffee club over there, or bought the existing coffee club over there. And, and within weeks, the whole taking Jesus had given way to making money and again god god's got a good way of treating my my foolishness so we got hit by the gfc and went spectacularly bankrupt and you know i asked god a couple of weeks ago why did that happen and he said because i love you and that was pretty humbling but in amongst that whilst the coffee club was was really on shaky ground Kim had an old school friend whose husband popped up out of nowhere and paid our rent for us for six months, eight months longer. You know, we, we just saw this generosity come through and God provide, even amongst my folly. Um, I worked for Baden Clay for a little while and that ended up... <laughs> and I ended up back in the public service. I went over to Queensland Health and thought I had the dream job and we were getting rave reviews from from throughout Queensland Health and I remember thinking I've, I've made it and I was in in the job that I thought would be the job that I retired in and then and then we got Campbell so Campbell Newman came along and again we found ourselves in in a predicament and in that time Kim had decided to go back to, to uni to study to be a teacher and it was a 12-month course and, you know, I'd just been Campbelled. Series of events, but I ended up getting another job within the public service, which just wasn't happening at that time. Nobody was getting any work within the public service, and I got a, I got a, a job with the RTA, which was a 12-month, which was the duration that Kim had to, had to study. And I... No, I'm getting the shake of the head felt like that yeah there was unemployment in there but anyway I got I got told Kim did a 12-month study and had rave reviews and was was offered a job at Jindalee school um, and that fell through on the same day that I got told that I you know my contract wasn't going to get renewed at the RTA because Campbell had come through there as well so we had this massive financial collapse again and I'm driving, I was driving home from the RTA that, that day and I had that, that, I just had the verse, seek first the kingdom of God, seek first the kingdom of God. And I came home and I'd read my Bible and it's the Beatitudes and, and the Sermon on the Mount and, and 
Jesus is saying, don't worry about what you'll eat, what you'll wear, what you'll, where you'll live. God's bigger than that. Seek first the kingdom of God and these things will be added unto you. So that was a spectacular day when I told Kim I didn't think I was supposed to work and I was supposed to just sit back and seek first the kingdom of God. <laughs> spectacular day. And that gave way to a spectacular year where I really just wrestled with God in the ugliest and it was, it was, a, it was an ugly year. And I wrestled and back and forth and back and forth but God was good in that and things, things were tight. But I, I remember one, one, I'd always taken my oldest son who unfortunately is a Broncos fan and you know, if we can get prayer about that later on, that'd be good. Um, but I'd always taken him to the Broncos-Dragons game at Suncorp and this year I had no money to do it and I'm thinking, oh, that was just another body blow that, you know, and I remember saying to God, this is, this, is, this is just too hard. And the Wednesday before the game, I went down to get the mail from the letterbox and somebody had put 100 bucks in there and that was enough for the tickets and we were able to go. And it was just that little blessing. And there were a multitude of those little things throughout the year. At the end of the year, we, we've always taken this trip to, to Caloundra as a family. And we'd pay the deposit and we had $500 owing to, to take the trip and we were in debt and we, we had, we'd gone through everything up until this point with little to, to no debt. Um, we were back, we were behind in rent and, and things, things weren't pretty and I said to Kim, I don't think we can go and she sort of laughed at me and she said, well, of course we can't, you know, we, we're, we're in debt, we're in a bad way and I jokingly said, what would happen if $500 just turned up? Because that's all we needed to pay to. And she laughed at me and she said, we'd need 10 times that to get out of the hole that we're in. The next day, Kim goes to school and somebody hands her an envelope with $500 in it. And, I'm, and this was a non-Christian person. I'm going, oh, this is fantastic. This is God's provision. And she's going, no, I told you we'd need five times that, 10 times that. And I was a little bummed, but I sort of said, yep, that's fair enough. We were in a little home group, home church at that time, and we get a phone call from the church saying, we need your bank account details, somebody's given you a gift. And I'm thinking, I didn't really think much about it, I thought it might be a couple of hundred dollars again, it might help. But somebody, and we still to this day don't know who, had deposited $5,000 in our... So that was, that was the ten times. I'm saying, we can go to Calandra now. And we were preparing for that. And we actually went to Calandra after that and had a great time as a family. And I'm still saying I still don't feel like this wrestle is over with God yet. I don't, we're having quite a heated discussion on the, on the couch prior to, in, in our little front room prior to Christmas. It was quite heated. And there's a knock on the door. And people don't usually knock in the middle of a barney. But anyway, I went and opened the door and... There were two women there that we'd never seen before and hadn't seen since. And they said, look, we've heard about you guys, we've heard who you are and we want to help. And they handed us an envelope with a Santa Claus on the front of it 
and we opened the envelope and it said that we paid your rent for the next two months, which was another $5,000. So what we said we needed for 10 times, God doubled. And it was a life-changing moment. It was brilliant. Yeah, no, that's good. I wanted you to hear that story. He's got more. Like the... This... And... I've seen this guy up at the shopping centre, and Desley's the same at Wendy's, who just opened their lives up to people. And I wanted to get him to come here today, not just to tell that story, as amazing as that story is, but to also honour him for the way he has taken whenever God has given him space or money or time. And he hasn't used it for himself. He's used it to bless others. And that, to me, is what this passage is about. Can we all thank Andy for coming to... Sorry, mate. As I read this passage this week, God is able to make every grace overflow to you so that in every way, always having everything you need, you may excel in every good work. As it's written, he distributed freely, he gave to the poor, his righteousness endures forever. It occurred to me that I've always understood verse 9 is talking about God. But when you look at it in context in Psalm 112, where that, is, that comes from, it's talking about the righteous person. When we are generous with that which God gives us, it has an eternal legacy. We've heard that from Andy. We've heard that from the CYC guys. We've seen it with a kid who comes to faith on Friday night at youth group. We see people all around us because of the generosity and the obedience and the faithful giving of this church. We have a team in Palara taking the gospel to Palara and planting something there that is completely different as a missional community. When we understand that money is not the goal, money is given to us by God to be a blessing it has eternal consequences. So how do we make this land? Well, I have three things that I've found that have worked for me. And I want to leave them with you. And you might do one of these, you might do three of these. That's entirely up to you. But I want to really help us land this because our hearts follow our money. The Bible says, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Our hearts follow our money, but we can retrain our hearts. So here's three things. You can do any one of these or all three or none of them if you particularly choose. Perhaps you don't give anything. Perhaps you see it as mine. Start at 10%. Start there. Do a budget. And secondly, if you think, I don't even know how that's going to work, do a budget. Less than 50% of Australians have ever done a budget for any purpose of any kind in any place. I don't know how we can know what we're doing financially if we don't even have a budget. That doesn't make sense to me. I know I'm an old accountant, but that doesn't make sense to me. And if you want to know how to do a budget and you don't know how, tick one of the response cards or whatever, and we will make sure... You're not going to forget that now. Um, and we will run... I've talked to um, Diane. We will run another CAP course if that's what's needed. CAP course is a uh, budgeting... to help you put a budget together. But the third thing, and this is the one that really helped me years ago, and I shared this last Sunday... Uh, my mum and dad are here and they know this about me. They saw it when I was a kid. If I have money in my wallet, I spend it. I, I, I'm not disciplined when I have the cash in my wallet. If I see 
$5 in my wallet, that's, like, that's a Krispy Kreme. Like, that's, it, it goes. I learnt for me, I need to give online and I need to give it first. Otherwise, if it's left to me, I'll spend it. But that's where the regular and deliberate and faithful thing comes in. We can train our hearts so that they, instead of our hearts following our money, our money follows our heart. God is good. And if we see him as loving and giving and gracious, then we will be the bountiful sowers who see a great harvest. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you that you are a good, good God. Thank you that you love us. Thank you that you are generous to us. Thank you that Jesus died for us. Thank you that you did that. Thank you that you give us the opportunity to join you in your mission. Thank you for Andy and Kim's story. Thank you that we have stories like that around us to to remind us that you are faithful, you are good, you are the provider, you are the giver. Thank you for stories from CYC. Thank you for uh, knowing that because of generous people here, that there's been a, a gospel of John printed in a language that's never been heard in before. And that gospel is going to PNG right now. Father, thank you that we get to see these glimpses of where we can join the dots between money and mission. And we pray that you would help us retrain our hearts so that we put money not as a place, as a thing that weighs us down, but as something that brings us joy because we see you using it for the extension of your kingdom. And we pray that in Jesus' name. Amen.